Hello and welcome back to the Neil Plus One podcast for the season two finale. We are here already. We're at the finale already. Where does the time go? Oh well. So for this podcast, we go out with a bang. And I speak with a very good friend of mine, a gentleman by the name of Nick Armstrong, known to many. We're in the world, I think, at this point. He, uh, there, is no, there is no stone unturned where improv takes place that I think Nick is not known in. Uh, he's a really great guy, a fantastic uh, role model for how community should work on the improv scene. Um, and he's a wonderful performer and teacher. I met Nick online. Yes, we met online some years ago uh, on the Twitter machine. And then we met up in person. I think it was in Iowa West at a Dazarisky show. And then we went for beers afterwards. And the rest, of they say, is history. Now, this podcast was recorded in a very hipster hotel in L.A., in a hotel room that had no chairs. So we're literally on the bed making this recording. And uh, before I go, I just want to thank you all for your comments, likes, uh, questions, and all that good stuff uh, over the season. Uh, the show will return early next year with a whole new realm of whole new realm, a whole new series of interviews. So uh, all the stuff we say is enjoy the show. Okay. Hello, I'm here with Nick Armstrong uh, on a bed in <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles. We are in a king size king size bed in, in, <laughs> in laying down to get there in Los Angeles because we couldn't afford two chairs. There's so no chairs in this uh, the bed hotel room. The bed cheaper. How are you, Nick? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. This is most mostly comfortable. Mostly yeah, comfortable. This is the most comfortable podcast I think I've ever done. Yeah, I'm glad it's audio and not video because. Yeah, well, we can make it. <laughs> so, um, tell us, you have you you have a very long and interesting career in improv. So <laughs> tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about it. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> start from the start. We know what you do now. Tell us what you, how you got into this game. Um, uh, well, I started at. Uh, I would say I've always been interested in improv. Like I love Saturday Night Live growing up. Uh, Dana Carvey, um, you know Will Ferrell, Chris Farley, big a lot of big influences. Phil Hartman, and so I was like, where do these guys train? Like Phil Hartman and and, and Chris Farley and things. And I would research them, and I and I would see things like uh, Groundlings or IO and things of that nature. So uh, my friend, well, I was living in Long Beach, California at the time, was south of Los Angeles, and my friend's like, hey, my buddy is in this new place that has come out there called uh, Improv Olympic. It was called back then Improv Olympic West. Now it's called IO West. Um, uh, and so I was like, okay, let's go up. So we drove all the way up here uh, and I watched uh, a show called Youth Group and I've told this story many times and it blew me away. I said, it was the first time in my life, like I knew I wanted to be an actor. I, I had trained as an actor and I wanted to be a comedian, but it was the first time in my life even beyond theater, because things in theater impress me, but I saw something and I was like, I don't know what that I just saw, but that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I've never had that epiphany moment ever. And that was the thing that was like, whoa, that's, that's what I want to do. Signed up for classes the next day. O'Connell and I talk about that a lot. It's like, watch a show, sign up for classes the next day. It's like, you know, and that's when I give advice to people now. I'm like, Go watch a bunch of theaters. Go see what, and if you like that, and you connect with it. Sign up for classes the next day. Anyways, yeah. So that's that's it. So you, you and you've trained and you've ta- taught in a number of the big name schools here in LA, mm-hmm. um, and you're currently with Westside. 
and tell us a little bit how you know how that background has influenced your own style of performing well my style of performing has changed a lot um when i was younger i was imitating you know imitating chris farley and you know being physical and fat and like the guy you know like being that guy and 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 i think like any great artist like the beatles you start doing chuck berry uh you know covers and until you start finding your own voice and i think eventually through doing that stuff without any training you have nothing to go on so you just imitate your heroes you know and and for a while when i was going through craig kakowski i would imitate him because i really respected him as an improviser until i found my own voice and just you know eventually got in that but that takes years like people don't realize like I mean, maybe maybe for me it took me a while to find my voice i guess mm. uh but but i think you know it's okay to do that like imitate your favorite improviser or like i like the way that person plays or he or she plays and i'm gonna imitate. like my friend dana powell is another uh performer i would mimic my work off of because i loved her so much and and um then i got to luckily perform with her but so i would do that and just take their styles and until I found my own voice, hmm. which took a, it was a process. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very competitive scene here in LA, and it always has been. Um, and you, st- I just want to remind everybody we're laying in a bed, lying still a- talking, <laughs> talking serious, crisply iron sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Only the crispest will do. Yes. Um, and it's it's always been a, it's a highly competitive game, uh, you know. And you see, it's always been like that. And so, what 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 does it take for somebody who comes to LA who wants to learn improv and uh, to kind of last as long as you have? Um, I wish I could ask a younger improviser that question because I'm an older improviser. You know what I mean, though. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it's like going through the improv here now, and um, that would be an interesting interview, I think. But like. When I went here, it was not as competitive. There wasn't as many theaters. It was mm-hmm. IO, Groundlings, you had Acme. There was like some that were flooded. Groundlings is obviously the, the the second city of LA. It would be like the big theater here, which has been around since seventy the seventies. And um, but yeah, I mean now there's like ten theaters, you know, and it's so competitive. And your agents want you to do it, and it's now the industry's on top of it, and it's a popular thing, and there's it's so much more. So I, you know, to me, I, I see it in the performance that the art has been a little bit pulled back, and it's more of you know more stage time, which is not necessarily a great thing, because with more stage time leads to I don't need a coach. We can just get a slot on stage and, and perform shows, which does hurt the quality. But then I also see fantastic shows on the opposite end of things. So I mean, uh, it's competitive in a sense to get on the main stage like Groundlings or IO and stuff like that but then there's so many indie things and things it's like I, I don't know I, I I don't know how to answer that question I guess I, I would I would be interested to hear an improviser going through now what their take on it is you mm-hmm. know but I do see some dip, I mean differences when I went through it mm-hmm. compared to now for sure and you also run um, something I'm a big fan of which is Improv Utopia Mm-hmm. Where there's now three improv camps around the U.S., uh, so you get you, you you get to catch a net of people be, uh, beyond LA. You get to catch a net of improvisers from all parts of the country and, mm. in some cases, other parts of the world. 
Um, and what have you noticed about that uh, that kind of difference in style and variety as you've as you've run those camps? Because we what West Camp is going six years now. Uh, yeah, it will be our seventh year. Seventh year this year. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, the great thing I see is the smaller communities and the grassroots of improv. I call it, which has been highly ignored. I think. Because we all focus on the bigger theaters, which mm. they're still great. And, and the bigger theaters, you should go to them. I'm not saying not to. I'm not talking down about them. I think, you know, if you can get a Craig Kukowski or Paul Valancourt or a Karen Gracchi at an I.O. or somewhere like that, go. You know what I mean? Like, But I think the thing I like about my camps is we don't focus on maybe those major theaters. We bring those teachers in, but, like, we focus on educating smaller communities. And what I love from the smaller communities is... They don't really have a reference of what you need to do in improv and how it's been done. They're kind of making it up on the spot organically mm-hmm. in their communities. And they're coming up with great forms, experimental ideas. The shit that we were doing, you know, what probably Sharna and Dell and all them were doing in the you know early 80s or even the committee in the like 60s. They didn't have a template of what to do. They were just creating and... I think that's what I see at camp is all those different methods coming together and us learning from that. And even I take more from smaller communities to bring back to the bigger communities now than I do vice versa, right? It's it's so weird because I'll go on the road and I'll, I see a show. I'm like, that's amazing. Hmm. I got to bring that back to the, the a big community, you know, hmm. or, uh, you know, with permission, of course, or something like that. But like, I... I just think that about smaller communities. I think they're doing the work and they're able to not have the pressures of rent or because it's, you know, in bigger cities it's, and they don't have the pressures of having to do this and that and, and, and run things. And, and and that's what's neat about that. And all these big theaters were at that point at some yeah, time or another, yeah. you know. And but camp has, what, what really blew me away about camp when I first met you was that sense of community because yeah. you know that stood out when I in, in the early days for me that stood out as an immediate necessity with improv more so than I guess many other art forms in my opinion and um, camp captures that and well, was that something that you just stumbled upon? Was it something you felt yourself? Or no, when IO, when I was going through IO in the early two thousands up until uh, the mid two thousands, when I was training and going through it, the IO West had a great community, and they still do. But I think just such a, I was like, this is not just improv. It's like people that love each other and support each other, and it's a community we hang out together. We're family on and off stage, and my teams, and and that kind of influenced me in that realm. And I was like, well. You know, how can we encompass that on a larger scale? And, you know, uh, with my background, summer camp seems to be an, an idea that could do that. And But that was community to me. Like, that was the influence of that. Because improv is community, and how do you harvest that? And, like, so much with technology and things of that nature and other businesses and outside of improv and art has become things where community is less and less. I think now more than ever, especially in the United States, that community is something that needs to be brought back more in our neighborhoods and our, you know, whether it's art or, or companies. I think that's something that's very much lost. The support of your neighbor, the support of your you know, fellow artist, you know, it's not like, I can't believe that guy's on a TV show and I didn't get it. It's like, I'm so glad that he or she got it over me because that's my friend and I know they're so talented. And, and I, the improv's like that. I think I would have quit being an actor had I not had improv as a background. 
so it just it just dawned on me there that all the US improvisers know exactly what we're talking about but uh, the international listeners may not be so familiar with the idea of camp certainly when I first heard of camp improv utopia I had an image of us intense in a field because you know that's, that's <laughs> wait camping. intense in a field oh yeah 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 because camp or yeah, like you know yeah. you think like, like a yeah like these pop up tents no it's it's not, you know, the Holiday Inn or the Four Seasons, but or this hotel, which we're in. Again, I'll remind everybody we're laying in a bed together, crisp iron sheets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's cabins with beds and bathrooms and showers and electricity. It's it's not. I mean, you've been to it. Mm-hmm. They're not. It's not hardcore camping. You're getting fed. The, the the crappy thing about when you leave camp is you have to take care of yourself again <laughs> after leaving camp. You have to cook your own meals, you know. Do your own. It's like it's it's a it's a harder thing I think to leave it than to go to it. it and it's a, it's a family experience because you've got you do your classes, but you also we you've got group activities as well, which has become a which you know I realized very quickly is a big part of the experience than just the classes. Because when I when I went the first year, I was like improv 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 and. Someone suggested we we went kayaking around a lake, and I was like, yeah. "How would we do that? We've got we can just do improv." And then as I did, I realized, "Hang on, it's like this this commander, this yeah. is a massive." You could problem. talk to them about their lives outside of improv, <laughs> like <laughs> talk to people lives outside of improv. Because when we started this camp, you know, Johnny, Brian, Jessica, and myself were just like, you know, like we don't want it to be a festival. We've gone to a ton of festivals. We don't want to be like where teams submit and we do this thing. We wanted it to be something that was like. Get out of your comfort zone. Hmm. Uh, go away from your big city or, or your wherever you are. Go away from your home and come here. And and improv, oddly enough, was not the first priority in camp. The first priority was to get out of your comfort zone and to experience nature and be in somewhere another environment. Hmm. And then improv would be the icing on the cake. You would get these master teachers, but I want you. I mean, we do a five-hour break in the middle of the the day to shoot archery to go um kayaking like you said and to to do arts and crafts to do all this stuff that you would not have the time to do because you're busy with your day or you go to your improv class at night or whatever but this is like a place to calm chill vacation and also talk to people and hear about their backgrounds and where they're from and and why they do improv i mean you can have improv conversations obviously we don't (laughs) but like but you you go on a kayak. You're not talking to people about tag outs and transformations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you may be. You may be. Yeah, that could be. That'd be a really interesting kayak yeah. ride. But and yeah. um, you're also the National Improv Network or the Improv Network as it's now known. Although yeah. it's it's been some time since it, it changed name. So again, with that, you know, there's probably you know a dime a dozen of. I use an American colloquialism. A dime a dozen. Yes. There's probably, probably uh, there's there's plenty of wikis and websites and and mm-hmm. uh, depositories that list things that are available to the improv community. But the improv network is different. Do you want to tell us a little bit about about that? Well, um, it's kind of influenced by uh, the Improv Resource Center by Kevin, who you just interviewed. Um, he is kind of very ins- inspirational in taking that. Uh, fostering the community online and Kevin's always been that guy to us Bill and I uh, he's always been the guy that's like let's connect everybody let's use this medium I mean, he's at my camps telling me about new things that I'm like I don't know what this is how Kevin's like a uh, uh, brilliant so 
ours is different because you know you make a profile you set it up and um you can submit to festivals actually just instantly um you know we were looking for a place to find festivals and there was a bunch of scattered sites and they were never updated but this is like constantly updated mm. through coding you know through modern technology so what we're doing is taking modern technology using it in a way so it's not outdated information because sometimes you go to those websites and you're like well that's from 2014 is that mm. festival still open or mm. what's and this is always like self people have to self do it but like it's it's always updated and it's a resource i mean we also uh now have a thing where teachers can get jobs you know we're also a place that wants to get people work you know in mm. a sense or connect people to uh different communities we help people tour uh, you know, you can find theaters and stuff like that. And um, we have a bunch of new stuff coming out that's going to be pretty phenomenal. Yeah, again, it's become this massive community resource. I mean, <clears throat> with Improv Fest Ireland, it made sense to, to you know, have the application process go through that. And since we've done that, the teacher application has gone online and now the... Um, uh, solo, solo, yeah, that's a huge thing in Europe with festivals. Well, it is. That's what we learned when we went over to visit you guys in the nursery and a bunch of the, everybody. They're like, "Why don't you? Why aren't you doing this?" He's like, "Because no one ever told us." Thank mm. you, and we will do it. And we did. <laughs> and now it's, you know, that's that's one of the reasons we went over to to learn, you know, about what was going on. We didn't want to be naive about, oh, let's just do something and force this on people. But we learned from you guys and everybody else to do that and it's been a huge success now the states pretty much all festivals are incorporating that now and i think that's awesome yeah because of the influence of the network yeah and you guys you know like your festival and and a bunch you know uh vancouver festival i know does that as well and it's yeah coming to improv utopia and then seeing such a the, the the pool of solo improvisers has grown for us in ireland not just from European, because it, it, that, that model has been in existence in Europe for quite some time. Sure. Um, but seeing it on a broader scale in terms of we've got a huge net now in the US and a huge net in Europe uh, and bringing that all together. And it's really wonderful to see that international community come and work like that. Um, and it's really great to see that. And now that the, the, the improv network brings that, you know, it just makes it easier, I guess, for me to do that, um, which is cool. Well, and reach, like, the idea is to not get rid of the other sites but to have a central location where people go oh this is where we can find it mm. this is will always be updated this is a place where we can go and and one thing I do want to point out that not a lot of people ever know and I'm sure I don't know if this translates well over in Europe but we're a non-profit organization so Bill and I don't make money from this at all it all goes to service the website and the money we do make goes back into the improv community the same with camp it's more of an endeavor to help the art form, almost like in the United States be the National Endowment of the Arts mm -hmm. uh, that gives money, but they never look at improv and give money to it. So we're trying to be that for just improv, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's been something that's been really cool. So we consider it everybody's site. Mm -hmm. We don't claim to own it or anything like that. Um, but yeah. So let me ask you a question then, because you're you're a professional performer, a professional actor, yet you have time. You you've made the time to make this work. What was the driver of it for you? Because you know you have your career that you focus on. You know, to plenty of people who come before you, this hasn't been something that they wanted to focus on. So what 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 made you want to do that? Well, uh, 
I'm a I was a Boy Scout growing up, and I know this is a silly like you know you you're taught. I was always taught with a philosophy of give back more than you are given. That is something that I think is very much lost in the United States these days, unfortunately, because it's more like take take. I want to be rich, take rich, do this. But I think improv is very much different. When I when I learned and did improv, I think what attracted to me was the fact that even as a performer, I'm supposed to give you more than I am given on stage. And that's um, something that I've always lived by philosophically. And so if I can help an art form and I have the resources to do it, and um, uh, then I'm going to do it just to help the art form that helped me. So obviously improv has given me so much in how I handle myself as a human being, how I perform on stage and off stage and anything in my professional acting endeavors. It's given me so much. It's given me everything. My friends, you know, my family. And so if I can make a little website and make a camp to help that out, then that's very small scale on what it's given me. It's still, I still don't think I've given enough back, you know? So, but I think improvisers should think about that. I think if you're an improviser out there, you should be thinking like, how can I give back more? And some people are doing that. They're building theaters in their communities. You do it in Ireland and, you know, um, that's that's what we do. That's our nature. Mm. And that's who we should be, right? Mm. Yeah, it's true. And, um, Talk a little. Talk, let's talk a little bit about King Ten. So, King Ten have a a, a renowned reputation, and I, I, you know, I, from my travels in Europe, you know, when it comes up about troops in in LA, or when people start talking about the Harold, King Ten always comes up. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I'll tell them. They'll be very <laughs> excited. <laughs> um, so, tell us a little bit about King Ten. So, how long have you guys been going? Well, this will coming up. This year will be our fifteenth year which is the longest-running Herald team in Los Angeles. Um, I've only actually been on the team probably five of those, six of those uh, 15 years. Um, but, you know, it's the great... I always call it the great experiment because what team has been together this long in this core? You know, there's been teams, obviously, that, you know, the Reckoning and you have Cook County that have been around. and But, you know, half of them are here, half of them are there. But this team has been together. Mm-hmm. as a family unit for a long time with me being the last edition uh, six years ago or so um, but it's it's we don't even do what people would call a herald anymore it's our philosophy is the herald is anything it's a half hour to 45 minute to an hour to two hour show theatrical experience with thematic ideas and that's what we go on if the form decides to change itself in the middle of the show then that's what the form does. But the Herald was originally not so rigid, you know, and I think we've actually gone back to an original form of it and also, in a, in a sense, uh, expand based on our own style of play, you know, and it's been a magical experience and we've been very fortunate to do it at iOS and have people still come and see us and um, it's been great. I hope it can go forever, but... I know that's not always the case. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they get into probably they start doing the Harold. Certainly in Europe, you know, we, you, you know, people don't necessarily learn the Harold from the get-go. Maybe they'll start by learning montage or manga sure. or that, um, as if they're easier forms. Yeah. And then you learn the Harold and, and it melts people's brains. What kind of things would you say to people who want to learn the Harold or are learning the Harold 
to kind of help them on their journey? I always say learn to be a strong improviser. Learn scene work first. Forms are something that are things that you should come to later, I guess. You know, like, a, a Herald is a training... Like, nowadays, I feel like a Herald is just the training wheels to long form. It's like, here you go. You're now in a structure that you understand because life and things in our normal world are all about structure. You know, King Ten's not there anymore. It's not about structure. It's about we follow whatever happens. But, you know, people do need structure because that's how the brains think and, and that's how it is and... I would say be a good, your best improviser first, because if you're not that, a form doesn't matter. You can do a JTS Brown, a deconstruction thing, but if you're not a good improviser and you haven't committed to the the language of an improviser, yes anding, making your partner look good, all that stuff, then forms don't really matter. So become a, remember that's the first thing. You know, Craig used to always uh, tell us, uh, when we were doing the JTS Brown, that like none of this matters if you don't have a good scene. I'd rather you start a show, get a suggestion, and do a bunch of great scenes that didn't have a form, you know, um, because that's the magic of improv when it comes down to it. The audience doesn't see a form, they don't know, mm-hmm. you know, nobody knows what a Herald is except the maybe 15,000 improvisers in yeah. the world, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so be do great scenes and then worry about form mm. that's what I would say and speaking of form JTS Brown yeah um, I, you know there's 50,000 people doing the Harold there's definitely less doing the JTS Brown it's you're of, talking like half per, uh, 1% yeah so t- t- and doing it right yeah I will say you're very passionate about doing it right yes tell us about and there's no way to do it right I shouldn't say that <laughs> but being trained by it is very I, I do take it very seriously I so give us a couple of lines as to what a JTS Brown is and tell us what it is that makes you so passionate about it okay so Brian O'Connell says this he goes if the Herald is algebra the deconstruction is do you remember? Oh, God, I can't remember calculus calculus yes come on you took the deconstruction <laughs> so you know what the JTS Brown is it's Picasso's cubism period so it has nothing to do with math. Mm. <laughs> and and that's kind of what Craig taught us to be. Like, you know, Craig's one of the original members of the JTS, original uh, yeah. director. And and he taught me for three years the JTS uh, with a team called the Night Terrors in L.A. here. And it was the first, you know, of its kind. And and it's it's a formless it's formless. It's supposed to be like uh, Craig would describe it to us like a, a fever dream, a dream, dream sequence where anything can happen at any time. Time didn't matter, you know, forwards, backwards. Uh, it's a philosophy of play. You hear me say that a lot in uh, philosophy of play, being able to it's it's the most supportive philosophy ever. Like you cannot drop one ounce of support from the ship. You cannot judge. You cannot do any of that. Like, it has to be 110% or the show loses its wheels. And that's why I always say why I'm so passionate about it is because it's not something a beginner improviser can do. And I will go out and say that because I was there. What Why I'm passionate about, like, is it's getting your doctorate in improv, I think. It's also, um, it's 
it's something you should do later when you it can do the good scene work. Because if you can't do good scene work, a JTS Brown just will not work mm. because it's too crazy to, to handle. Um, so that's why I'm really passionate about that and, 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 and doing it. There's elements and philosophies that you can do separately, but as a whole piece, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, like, I will say what, you know, Picasso really, Blue Period is his first thing, very simple. Cubism, very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So you see the difference. That's what I'm saying, the difference between a Herald and a JTS is. I can't do algebra, so I'm not even going to answer. But, yeah, story. but so I... <laughs> <laughs> then maybe you should do a montage. Oh, I'll stick to that. I'll stick to watching montage. Yes. Eight parts. Oh. <laughs> continuity, continuity. So, um, I, I guess given it's been uh, talked about in the improv community in the past, it would be worth it to have a uh, to have a chat about it. So, one of the improv schools, um, yeah, released grade grading that they've had for their students over the years, and students can now access that um, here in LA. And it's 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 caused somewhat of a, a controversy in the improv community where some people are very divided on their view as to whether it's a good thing or. A I call it grade gate. Great gauge, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've read blog pieces where people are very passionate about how it's wow. wrong, and then the flip side of it. And, and myself, you know, who's, who's studying at the moment the master's in training education, I, I totally get it. But um, as someone who's closer here on the ground, what's your thoughts around this whole idea of grading well, and improv? I, I, I think we talked about this a little bit. I don't have a feeling about it. Like, my feeling is... We talked about structure earlier, and the world is structured off of grades, correct? So I think that's what some people want sometimes. And if that school wants to do it, that's their prerogative, you know? And you can either go to it or not, you know what I mean? Like, would I personally do it at my theater? No. But that's how I would run my theater. I'm not going to say that another theater is bad for doing something like that. You just don't do that if that's what you don't want. Um... You know, I mean, uh, you know, some theaters are so popular and have so many people there that you might get flooded with a lot of structuralists that need that kind of, well, what did I get? How do I get that outcome? And that might work for them. I, I do, I'm not behind the scenes there, so I don't know why. But I've got to assume that they're doing it for a re- reasons uh, that they need to, you know. I, and again, personally, would I do it? No, mm. I, I don't think grading them would be something I would do. Mm. Um, but then there's some people I don't pass in class, and, and and then some people don't like that either. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, to me, there's, you know, I'm not passionate about it either way. I, I I would just say that personally, I wouldn't do it. I don't think I can put a letter grade on someone. I, I guess I can tell someone whether they're ready to pass to a next level mm. or ready to move on to something that they understand the concepts. Uh, I would do that. But if, if you know a theater has to put a letter grade on that to, to communicate that, then that's how they do it. Mm. Uh, that's, I guess that's my philosophy on that, yeah. really. Because uh, like, that's, that's what my feelings were around. I'm not, I'm no familiarity with their curriculum or what they do. Um, but you know you have that where you hold back a teacher will hold back a student from moving on to the next sure. level, which is kind of the same thing in a way without putting a letter assignment mm-hmm. to it so and it's necessary to ensure some level of standards and quality as people progress with their careers sure. in, in any discipline and what I would say is instead of a letter grade I sit down and talk to them and be like mm. hey this is why I'm not passing you because yeah. you're not you have not 
comprehended this, this, and this, and this is what this class is. And I set up those expectations at the beginning. And then so in the middle of the class, I'm telling them that this is what you need to keep working on. And at the end of the class, I'm saying the same thing. I'm going like, well, you didn't reach what we had talked about expectation-wise. I don't want to put you forward because you're going to be way behind everybody else. And also, I don't want to put everybody else that is way ahead of this person to be pulled back by someone that I need to focus on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so as a teacher, yeah. it's, it's a responsible thing to do. Yeah, uh, do I need to go like, well, you got an F. Like, that's... No. I, I, I couldn't see that. That's just not my philosophy. Mm. Again, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. It's just just people do different methods. And yeah. that's the right to, of the improviser to choose how they want that to be done, you mm. know? Yeah. So... Uh, you want something juicier, Neil? We want something we can just like throw all over Facebook. <laughs> well, Nick Armstrong said, "Sorry," <laughs> and name names and slander people. Um, so, you talk a little bit about the Harold earlier. Just generally speaking, like you you have actually this is nothing to do with the Harold. You've you've travelled the festivals in Europe. You've seen and something else popped in my head at the same time. Uh, you've seen you've been part of festivals internationally. You've travelled to different cities now and 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 you know and taught and performed. What 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 differences are you notice in stylistic approaches to improv outside of the US? Oh man, why well, learn that from your festival? Uh, that was the first time I'd... I mean, I'd seen some over here, but I was exposed to so many different countries and styles. And and you know what, Europe... The thing about Europe is you guys have had theater for much longer than the United States. Mm. And I think that influences the work a lot more over there. You know what I mean? Um, that's the big... And I love theater, so I was right up my alley. I was like, this is great. I wish this would be more in the States, but it's just a different ball game, you know? Um, watching the team from Italy do mask work and Commedia style stuff, but also in corp, which Commedia lends itself to improv pretty pretty easily, but that's the foundations of it. But watching a group do that was great, and and from Denmark and you know everywhere we saw. But I mean, it just goes you use your country and its influence to influence your work and what are those theatrical backgrounds and. It can't be replicated. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I guess, like, Chicago, they say Chicago-style improv. Go there. But, like, I I kind of like the fact that I see stuff that's different. I don't know if necessarily I would want to force this style of improv on Denmark. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let them figure out what it is to them. Yeah. I, I get kind of a scared of chain restaurants mm. coming into other places and forcing a a style on and, and I, I mean I, if that's the case and people want to do that's fine but I, I almost hope that I keep seeing that difference I don't want to keep seeing the same thing I don't want to keep going to McDonald's Yeah, you know what I mean yeah. I, I hope that you know if it, I want to see this interesting stuff that I see and I don't want to see that taken away not to say it would I, I don't know but that's what I got to see at your festival is such interesting theatrical style mm. improv that was the big difference mm, cool do you see that I mean how do you see yeah like- I definitely do I mean you can see as an outsider you can see a clear divide in style in improv theaters you know that are a block away from each other here in LA or in Chicago mm-hmm. but uh, you know we I've we've a, a very strong theatrical approach mm-hmm. to to our work in in Europe and you mentioned the Italians, which were which are theatrebu. Yeah, and um, they're incredible with their. And each show they've done when they've come to Dublin, each show they've done every year has been a very different format. 
Uh, and uh, you know, there's two very popular groups as well outside of them in Europe at the moment, um, which are Théâtre de Lunions uh, from France, and also I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Carpe Hot Day. I've totally made a hands of that. <laughs> and they're doing a lot of physical stuff and very, very different than, you know, I've never really, this is not a negative comment, but I've never seen anything like Teatro Brew or The Onions or Carpe Hot Day in the US. Um, there's plenty of very talented groups. So, mm-hmm. And I think that's quite interesting. And, you know, having the luxury of being able to go to the US and play and, and, and learn and have that in Europe, it's nice to kind of see, see from both sides. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that, and I, I hope to keep seeing that. I hope that the you know that the the theaters pop up in those countries that I mean they have already, but they foster their own idea of an improv. Sure, you can learn from IOs and UCBs and stuff. Make people come over and teach your philosophies, but like you know, find your own way. Mm-hmm. Improv is so malleable to anything. Organically, find what you do. And it's kind. Of, it is the thing we talked about earlier before we were recording of. You know, taking acting classes. You know, if you're yes. an improviser, take acting classes and take clowning classes. Take things. Do a bunch own. of different things. Let anything influence your work. Mm-hmm. You never know. I mean, do what you're passionate about. And then improv encompasses everything. That's the great thing about improv. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you can put whatever mix of that you want it's like mixed the mixed martial arts of, of yeah, improv like, like I guess like <laughs> MMA of that stuff yeah sure but um, you know you can have different stuff that influences my acting background you know you know I've done you know you could if you do clown you could, I've definitely seen that being influenced in mm-hmm. now especially in the states mm-hmm. but yeah cool so you might have answered this already but maybe not um, so what are you teaching at the moment is there some kind of pro tip or, or, or advice or exercise or something that you'd give to people listening that's something maybe you're enjoying teaching lately or something you're working on or maybe a bad habit you're seeing people do like what kind of exercise yeah an exercise like, or a, a you pro know, tip I always say this one I like to do this because it gets people out of the mindset that I'm doing improv and I have to be funny I call it um I call it the plays the thing. Craig taught me this work, uh, thing, but I also do a lot of genre improv out here, a very theatrical style of improv. But it's basically giving them the title of a play that's never been invented, and then they have to perform the Tony Award-winning scene from that mm. play, but as serious as possible. Like, not trying to be funny, being real actors, performing, you know, give me a suggestion of any, like, a play that's never been invented. So the, the whatever. Yeah, the cake is on the table. The cake is on the table. So it's the scene at the end where the the cake's there and the family's there and you know Roddy's about to leave for college and it's his big you know whatever that scene is. So like you make that title influence you, but it's a really emotional scene. And I always tell people improv will take care of itself. Mm. People are coming and they know you're making it up. So. Um, just play it as serious as possible and it will be funny. Hmm. Uh, you know, when I, we do Kind Strangers, my ten, improvised Tennessee Williams, we do. Um, but that's our mantra. Is like, just try to, who's going to win the Tony Award tonight hmm. for best monologue or best, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, is try to be as more, the more serious you can be, the funnier you can be. So I love doing that exercise because then they go, oh, it's not different than theater. It's not different than 
act. It's not different. It's the same thing. Mm. So yeah, it gives them in the right mindset. Mm. So when they do regular improv, they think about that and go, oh, it's not different. It's all encompasses the same thing. Cool. And one last question. Well, actually, second last question. And uh, it's not a popularity question. Uh, any troops, shows, acts you've seen recently that have, have you know, in, uh, you've really enjoyed, really entertained, you've switched off your improviser brain and just watched it for what it is? Uh, like for in improv? In improv, yeah. Um, well, I, I have to say that I've recently done taken over the West Side Comedy Theaters, so I've seen a lot of shows there. And, you know, uh, there's a house team, Cobranauts, there that makes me laugh. Hilarious. All of them do, but that's one of the veteran teams there that I, I think is, is, is very funny. Um, so they're definitely one of them. Um, what's another one I've seen lately? Um, yeah, I would, I would say that, like, obviously, uh, I mean, I saw Dasarisky not too long ago. I always watch them at least... A couple times a year just to remind myself of how much more work I have to do <laughs> like, you know <laughs> so I would always recommend them I just saw them not too long ago and got to see the guys afterwards and that's always a, a fun a fun show that I recommend and then I always go see opening night the musical that one always uh, uh, gets me and robot teammate and the accidental party I also like their musical team that uh, they're really young guys that really do a good job and I just saw them too and there's just stupid fun. Mm. Just stupid fun musical team. Yeah. So my last bonus question for you uh, is in the here and now. You're doing a show tonight and I'm excited to see oh in God. the pack. Yeah, the pack theater. And you got, you're playing with Brian, Brian James O'Connell. Yes. Miles Strutt and... Dan Backadall's in it. Um, and uh, uh, some of their teachers do that and there's some other guests in it too. But I mean, I'm, I'm so stoked. I mean, how lucky am I to do that? It's going to be really fun. Uh, so yeah, um, memorizing my lines now, getting ready to. You got all the sheets all over the crisp on yeah. sheets here. Gonna play the bakery guy that does <laughs> no, uh, no. But I am so excited. I mean, I've played with Miles a couple times in my career, but like, uh, and I've never played with Dan. Uh, I play with uh, Brian uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, not a lot, but often. But like, yeah, uh, it's gonna be crazy. I'm really excited to get that opportunity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Nick Armstrong, thank you very much. Thank you, Neil. Laying in a bed. Laying in a bed. Yeah.